Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you'd remain, everyone is remain standing for the reading of God's word. Uh, we'll be reading out of 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 4 through verse 10. Uh, my name is Marcus. You can follow along with me on the screen, or if you want, uh, you can follow along on your own device. Or if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that you can grab and that would be our gift to you. So 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 4, reads this. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we have from you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The word of the Lord. Out of all my family, I'm most like my people. And uh, there are a myriad of ways I don't want to be anything like him, but there are innumerable more that it's like a great aspiration of mine to be like him. And on this one occasion, he was driving and experiencing what many of us experience. Some random stranger just decides that they want to be murdered by you. And so they begin driving in a way, a fly trying to tag you that tries to anger you, and this person succeeded, and so they begin jockeying back and forth and, you know, kind of enraging one another, and they end up next to one another at a stoplight. And my people said, this lady looks at me and she starts making this motion. Now those of you born after the year 2000 won't know what this is. But back in the day, we didn't have a button to push to roll our windows down. You had this crank. And it's a system of pulleys and levers inside the door. And that, you turn the crank and the window would lower. My people uh, loved the fight. He just loved it. And he was quick-witted and funny and ornery as a day is long. And so he rolls his window down. And this lady looks at him and she goes, You can go to H-E double hockey sticks. And she said it. No, ma'am, I can't. I'm a Christian. And then he said, are you a Christian? And she said, no, I'm not. And he said, then you can. And he made a right turn and left. All right? I'm not saying it's good advice, but it's a true story. Someone tells me to go there. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. I can't go there. I'll never experience it. There's a great chasm fixed between Abraham's bosom and the torment that awaits those who don't go to heaven. And they cannot cross from there to his bosom. They can't get from hell to heaven, and those in heaven can't get from heaven to hell. I'll never know it. I'll never experience God's wrath. His punishment will never be poured out on you because it was poured out on Jesus. What an incredible act of kindness. For God to take away not just our wandering, but our wondering. Like, am I really saved? Have I really given my life to Jesus? That doesn't mean you won't go through periods of doubt. Of course you will. Of course you will. 
The New Testament says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When you experience the doubt, don't be afraid of it. Just lean right into it. You know why? Because if you're not saved, it's really easy to get saved. It depends nothing upon you. And if you are saved, then you get to put it to bed and go, okay, yeah, that was just Satan messing with me. Trying to pull me off track. Paul says, you know how we live among you for your dinner. Anybody who wants to be a leader has to recognize this important truth. Leadership exists for the benefit of others. Anyone who's using leadership to stand on top of others and lord it over them is not a leader. They're not a leader. Leadership exists for the benefit of others. And this makes sense. We see it in all our hero myths. Like every great Marvel movie, you have this one person that's empowered to do this one thing, like that, this one special ability or myriad of special abilities that makes them a hero. And amazingly, whatever enemy or problem they face always requires that specific set of skills. And that specific set of skills then comes into play and that hero doesn't use that power to enrich themselves. That, in fact, is historically what is called the villain of the story. The hero of the story, at great personal cost, and typically through personal sacrifice, uses all of the myriad of powers, gifts, insights, abilities, resources that they have for the benefit of others. And what is it that motivates that kind of a thing? It's love. When we're talking about leadership, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about love. And we're talking about all of that because we're talking about God. Because all this flows from God's very character, from who he actually is. See, when we're living out what we're supposed to be doing, like when we're following Jesus, we're embodying his, like we're living as if he were living through us. So Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Everything, Paul's saying, everything you see about me that's good, that's just Jesus shining through. Like that's the goal, to be conformed into his image. That's what's supposed to happen. We see the character of God on display in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Paul says, what are we supposed to say about these things? Like all the suffering and problems and pain and difficulties and tribulations and trials. What are we supposed to say about these things? We say God's purposes are working together. His love is enduring and staying with us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him, how will he not also with the gift of Jesus grant us everything how will he not give us everything this is what Paul did for the church in Thessalonica and this is what they have done for others this is what God has done for me this is what I hope to do for others this is what God has done for us this is what we must do for others this is the call of obedience We see it in our hero myths. We see it in our families or in the families that we wish we had. No, a dad is supposed to fill in the blank. A mom is supposed to fill in the blank. A brother or a sister is supposed to fill in the blank. And it's woven into us. Nobody had to tell us what a mom or a dad is supposed to be like. Nobody had to tell us 
What love is supposed to be like because God has demonstrated it for us is how we know what love is. God first loved us. Paul says, you know how we lived among you for your benefit and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. This is a natural order of discipleship. Find somebody who's following Jesus and imitate them. You welcomed us. You followed us. In fact, Paul told the church in Corinth, imitate me. Just copy my life. Follow me as I follow Jesus. When Jesus is gathering up his disciples, he said, follow me. That was the great winsome message that Jesus gave. Follow me. Okay, where are we going? And Jesus is off. You know what I'm saying? Like he's gone. He's, and he's off. If Either you're going with him or you're not going to go with him. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the natural order of discipleship. Find someone who you look at and you go, I like the way that they like Jesus. I'm going to try to be like them. And as you do that, you know what you'll discover? There are a lot of ways that they are not like Jesus. And that's why Paul said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Because we get lots of intermediate targets. People that we go, I want to follow them because they're like Jesus. But we have a target that's past them and that surpasses them and that is in every way better than them. And we imitate Jesus. And as a result, as a result, Paul says, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. As a result, the Macedonian Christians, the Macedonian Christians were exemplary. This church is exemplary. He's like, Macedonia, Achaia. In fact, everybody who hears about you talks about how you received us, how you received the gospel, how you implemented it into everyday life, and how you began living out faithfully in the face of unbelievable persecution and opposition. Paul says, we don't even have to say anything. You just say Thessaloniki, and everybody's like, yeah, 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 man, those guys are amazing. We get it. That's the gold standard of the local church. We understand, okay? We don't even have to tell them how great you are. They have heard it. And everywhere that you guys are known, you are known as faithful, obedient followers of Jesus. You are exemplary. And they were exemplary, I think, precisely because they weren't trying to be exceptional. Seriously, they didn't try to be cool. <sighs> I really want to be cool. I feel like I've always like, been on the edge of it, you know? Sarah and I, once we took a group of students to this uh, winter retreat thing, and we ended up at an outlet mall. And I was in Gap. I was at the Gap outlet. And I found these khaki pants that were $4. 
I was like, four bucks, what? And so I went up to the register and I was like, Gap pants for four bucks, hello. I go to the register and I was like, hey, um, what's up with these pants? Why are they only $4? Here's what was in my mind. Oh, you can't see it, but there's a hole in the leg that's not supposed to be there. That wasn't a thing yet. Or there's pin, you know, like we marked it with pin or like it says, you know, 30-30, but one of the legs is actually 36. So when you put it on, it's going to be a problem, you know. I'm like, what's the deal with these pants? And she goes, oh, they're out of style. And I truthfully said, I'll take two pairs. Thank you very much. They didn't try to be cool. They didn't try to be unique. They didn't try to be innovative. They didn't try to be relevant. They weren't even trying to be strategic. What made these Jesus followers praiseworthy was this. They took the basic commands of Jesus seriously and tried to obey them. That's it. That's it. That's the great and glorious strategy of the church in Thessaloniki. They took the basic commands of Jesus and they are like, so that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, then that's what we'll do. Yeah, but there's all this opposition. We have the basic commands of Jesus, so that's just what we're going to do. Well, what if people think you're a loser? I, I have an operating principle. It's the basic commands of Jesus, so I'm just doing that. Well, yeah, but what if you run out of money? I, I have the basic commands of Jesus. That's the foundational, motivating, animating, operating, guiding principle of my whole life. So I'm just, I'm just doing it. And I guess everything else is Jesus' problem. Their daily, uh, their daily lives were transformed because of their faith in Jesus. They gave themselves fully to the mission of redemption and salvation. They shared the gospel with boldness and they shared their own lives with one another. They were radically generous with other churches. Giving themselves, Paul said, first to the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, which is a wealthy suburban church. And he says to them, we want you to know, brothers, starting in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. They were radically generous with other churches. And that generosity didn't flow from a wealth of a bank account, but from a wealth of love. When you love, there is nothing that can be taken from you. Because when you love, you will give everything you have. Those whom I love, they could never take something from me. I will give them everything I have. Everything I have. And if I don't have it, I'll find a way to get it. So that I can give it to them. Not only that, but they believed that Jesus would return and rescue them from what they deserved, the wrath of God. They believed Jesus would return. It's a motivating principle. You know what I'm saying? Remember being a teenager? Mom and dad leave. 
the house gets disrupted a bit, let's say. And then, back before you had like My Life 360 and Find My iPhone, all you had were headlights. And the headlights would come around the corner and you would be like, oh no. Your heart would sink to the bottom of your stomach and you would start cleaning up faster than you've ever cleaned up. Shoving stuff in places where later you were like, I know I'm going to have, like, I'm going to pay for this later, but I just got to get it clean, right? I got it. They're, they're, they're coming home. They're coming home. Do you understand that Jesus is coming to get you? He's coming to get you. He's coming to get you either to rescue you or to leave you forever. Either to rescue you from the wrath or to put you right in the position where it's poured out directly on your head. I really believe that our church is on the cusp of seeing a powerful move of God. Just a powerful move of God. And it won't happen because of talent or being relevant or charisma or strategy. It won't happen because uh, we have a great band or an engaging preacher up here on stage. It, it will happen only when the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us. Only then. We don't have to be exceptional. We just have to be faithful. We don't have to be talented. All we have to do is just take the basic commands of Jesus seriously, try to live them out personally, and try to encourage others to do the same. See, if Christianity was a solo sport, then it's just you take the basic commands of Jesus seriously, and you obey them personally. But it's not. And you are not an isolated individual. You're part of a church family, which means you bear responsibility for the people who are gathered here with you particularly those of us who are members, but there's a lot of us who hang out week in and week out and really come pretty much all the time just haven't stepped across the line making that commitment. I don't know if you have fear of commitment or what it is, but we want you and we need you. So step across the line and join us, right? But those of us particularly who've made a covenant together to be members of this body have a responsibility to encourage one another. The Bible says in Hebrews, as long as it's called today, so as long as you're calling today, today, that's how long you have to encourage other people. I love, like, I am a born encourager. If you are down, just come be my friend. I can't help it. It gasses me up. If you're down and you want to stay down, come be my friend. Because I will convince you that staying down is the wrong idea. I want to encourage you. And I love, there, there, there are a lot of words that can be translated for encouragement in the Bible. But one of my favorites is parakaleo. Para, of course, means with or alongside. And kaleo means to call. And parakaleo means to call to one's side. Isn't that nice? Isn't that good? Like, have you ever been down? Like, really down? Like, low, low down? And felt like nobody cared? Nobody understood? Nobody knew? Nobody was interested? And you, you just needed someone to be by your side 
when I was a sophomore in college, I was an RA, a resident assistant. I was undoubtedly the single worst RA in the history of RAs. I hated it. I'm not a rule follower by nature, so making other people follow rules was like 10 steps beyond my capacity. I was so bad at it that one night I was the first on call in the whole building, the first RA on call in the whole building, and I abandoned my post. I came home and, some, and there were six police cars outside of the dorm, and I was like, oh no, this is a real problem. I walked in and the assistant RD, like the second in command guy, my direct boss, he's like, you're in bed, you've been in bed all night. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm sleepwalking. And I went to bed. It's like, I'm, I didn't engage at all. I got up the next morning, yeah, what's going on guys? You know, it turns out someone had drugs in the building. Well, not just in the building, on the floor that I was an RA for. Not actually, not just on the floor, but on my wing of the floor, almost immediately across the hall from me. I was bad at it. And during that season of uh, failure, I got pretty severely depressed. Um, the RA, justifiably, I think, really didn't like me, but was also going through some personal stuff and began taking it out on me. And one day I was trapped in jail, which is what I called RA duty. And I'm sitting there with one of my best friends, and I'm just, I'm down. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. Like all the negative things. I'm all those things. And my friend is sitting there in the room with me and then he just starts crying. And I was like, oh, this is like perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. One more issue. One more problem. Like I needed someone to be sad around me because I wasn't already thinking about going Harry Carey here. You know what I mean? Like I needed someone else to be low too. And I was like, what's wrong? And he sat there and he said, I just, I don't know how to fix this for you. And he just cried. And I, that's when I was like, okay, that's a friend. That's a picture of parakaleo. That's what we're supposed to be for one another. And this is not the kind of thing you can sit and hope someone else will do for you. That's not how it gets built. This is the kind of thing that you must take the initiative and call others to your side. That's how it gets built. It doesn't get built. The culture doesn't get built by all of us wanting to receive the benefits. That's the villain. The culture of our church is built by all of us saying the benefits exist for someone else. All of the good stuff, it's for you. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you get all of the good stuff. It means that a person alone is an emergency. A person praying alone is an even bigger emergency. There is a great and glorious task awaiting us right outside the doors of this building. A whole world in need of the gospel. We are a people of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We are a people of dependence upon one another. We are a people who take the basic commands of Jesus seriously, try to obey them, and encourage one another towards that end. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Just momentarily, I want to pause on one thing that I said earlier in the message. That ours is a faith of full assurance 
And I want you to know, whenever I was a child, is when I gave my life to Jesus. I was nine years old, and at age nine, I began at nighttime um, really dreading going to sleep. Every night, I would think to myself, um, like you do when you're nine and afraid of the dark, and it got dark, what if I, what if I died tonight, and I wasn't a Christian, and I just began like over and over again being afraid at night? Just not sure, not having a full assurance that I was a Christian. God used that in my life, that fear in my life, that insecurity in my life to point me to the hope of the gospel. And as a nine-year-old kid, I can remember the Sunday morning when I got up, I walked to the front and I talked to one of the pastors and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to I become a Christian that morning, that pastor led me in prayer. Another pastor talked to me about confidence and assurance that I can have that when Jesus brings me into his family, he keeps me in his family forever. And I don't have to be afraid because I didn't get in based on my merit, so I won't be kicked out based on my failure. I was brought in by Jesus and I'm kept by Jesus. And so I prayed, just a really simple prayer, confessing that I was a sinner, agreeing with God, I'm a sinner, agreeing with God, Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt for my sin. And just saying to him, all my hope is in that. And all that I am, all that I have, and all that I ever will be now belongs to you. I'm giving my life to you. And that morning, Jesus took my sin, which was like scarlet, and washed it as white as snow. Since then, I've struggled, I've doubted, I've sinned, I've failed, I've hurt people. I've served people and helped them and encouraged them and loved them. I've been a good dad and a bad dad, a good husband and a bad husband, a good pastor and a bad pastor, and everything in between. You know what I've never been? Kicked out of God's family. Not ever. And if you're here this morning and you don't have full assurance, I want you to know that you can. First of all, I want to say that the lack of full assurance doesn't mean you are lost. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But it at least means it's worth asking God about and talking to him. But chances are good in a room this big. Somebody's here and they have full assurance that they are in fact not a Christian. And can I just tell you, if God would save me, he would save you. Because the point really wasn't there's a certain amount of sin Jesus would die for and the rest we're accountable for. The point was that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through his son the world including you might be saved and that this morning you can be saved. You can give your life to Jesus. You can pray a simple prayer, confessing that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died to pay for your sin, and surrendering your life, everything you are and have, to him. What do you get in return? You get brought into a family. You get made a co-heir with Jesus. You get heaven. You get forgiveness. You get purpose. You get family. So I want to invite you to do that. And then church, I want to invite us 
to just pray a humble prayer of confession that just says, God, I know what you want from me. To just know the basic commands of Jesus and obey them. And forgive me for trying to sort of trick my way into holiness. Forgive me for my cowardice, my coldness, my silence, and my laziness. We're being invited into something as a family, a great and glorious task with a great and glorious power for the glory of a great and glorious God. During this time of response, I'll be available to pray with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you want to talk about salvation or if just something's going on in your life and you'd like me or maybe even Josh to pray over you, we'll be available over here, um, over by the coffee. We take the Lord's Supper together uh, as a reminder of our dependence upon Jesus, as a reminder to ourselves what he did for us on the cross. So those of you who are followers of Jesus, that's available on the table encourage you during the time of response. Uh, if you haven't given, if you don't do that, you can do that online uh, on our website, redhill.church. You can do it through the Church Center app, and you can give with confidence, knowing that as you give, your contributions go around the world to missionaries who need it, to church plants right here in the Metro East and the north side of St. Louis. Most importantly, in this moment of response, listen to the Holy Spirit. And be obedient. The basic and the simple commands of Jesus. If there's someone you need to go and love, go and love them. If there's someone you need to encourage, go encourage them. If someone you need to pray for, pray for them. If there's someone you need to confess to, go and confess to them. And if someone comes and confesses to you, forgive them. Restore them. Walk with them. This moment is yours. Let's pray and ask God to move in our midst. God, we want to be a praiseworthy church. Exemplary. Not for the purposes of our brand being lifted high, of our name getting glory, but because you are worthy of all the glory. You have brought us into your family, and it wasn't just for the purposes of giving us a someday room to live in. It was that the world might know you. That the world might know you. That the world might know what you can do in a person's life. That the world might know that there's a God who loves them. There's a God who will receive them. So we ask you, Spirit, to fill us with boldness and with power. To send us from this place as missionaries who will speak the gospel out loud, that there might be random interactions of strangers who don't know each other, who strike up a conversation saying, I just had the weirdest experience. This person just told me that if I don't put my faith in Jesus, I'm not gonna go to heaven. And that that other random stranger might say, really? Because a person just said the same thing to me yesterday. That in this community, it might be commonplace for a person to hear that Jesus Christ will take anybody. 
anybody who trusts him is saved. We need you to do it. We're never going to do it on our own. This church is yours. Our families are yours. Our hearts are yours. Our kids are yours. Our lives are yours. Do what you will. In your name we pray. Amen.